<laughs> anyone else? Anyone else ever had chicken and waffles? Come on. I can't say that I have actually. It's uh, it's a it's a really um. Anyway, are we going to do a show today? <laughs> yeah, let's do a show. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're talking yay Ruby today. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yay Ruby, I like it. Hosting a bandwidth provided by the Bluebox Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This podcast is sponsored by New Relic. To track and optimize your application performance, go to rubyrogues.com slash newrelic. This episode is sponsored by Code Climate. Raise the visibility and quality within your team with Code Climate and start shipping better code faster. Try it free at rubyrogues.com slash codeclimate. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 124 of the Jeruby Jerogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have... Katrina Owen. Hello. Josh Susser. And now for something completely different. David Brady. I was hoping you were going to try to say David to Brady. <laughs> uh, I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Before I introduce our special guest, I want to just briefly make a quick announcement. And that is this Friday is my Freedom Day. It's the day that I got laid off three years ago. Um, and I am celebrating that and celebrating my freedom by putting out a free video that kind of talks about the first year or so that I was freelance, how I found clients, how I got started, how I put my business together, all that kind of stuff. So if you're interested in that, you can get it at goingroguevideo.com. And uh, anyway, like I said, it's free. So just go and, and hopefully it helps some folks out who are interested in going freelance. Anyway, um, our special guest this week is Charlie Nutter. Hello there, everybody. So, Charlie, you haven't been on the show before. Do you want to introduce yourself really quickly? Well, uh, I suppose I'm in this community primarily known as uh, one of the JRuby guys, Um, but uh, I've been doing Java, JVM development stuff for probably 15 years, been working with Ruby and JRuby for almost 10 years now, and uh, just having a lot of fun trying to make uh, Ruby work on the JVM. Right on. Is that hard? It's not an easy project, no. I, I I always wonder if it will ever actually be done, done, and then uh, I find another bunch of things that are going to take a little while to get working. How's well, uh, ref- how's refinements coming along? <laughs> well, uh, after some uh, uh, intense, you, intense Char- deliberation, Charlie, <laughs> Charlie, you're being baited. I'm trolling. Yes, I'm trolling. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So. We've been talking about doing this episode for a long time, and this is finally, like, I've finally been using JRuby on a project for a couple months now, so we felt like we had enough, um, enough people on the, on the panel to grill you about this, can, or can ask, I, you, ask you useful questions. Can I interrupt again? This is my uh, dysfunctional disorganization speaking. Yes, we, 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 have a, we, ne- have a, we have the most important announcement of the episode. We neglected to uh, announce our uh, unofficial rogue. We have another person that signed up. Um, supporting the show, they donate fifty dollars a month. Is is what wow. they do, and uh, we we think these people are awesome. Um, and that gets them unofficial rogue status, and we mention them on the show. And so uh, a couple weeks ago, Christian Schlensker donated to the show, and uh, so we just like to publicly thank him and and all the thank other people you. who are supporting the show. That's awesome. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Christian. Yay. <laughs> Anyway, JRuby. Yeah, yeah. So, so we, we, we actually didn't start talking about this, the episode six months ago. We started the JVM six months ago, and it's just now warmed up. 
<laughs> Charlie, well, it's okay. Addition. It's it's okay to reach through Skype and slap him. That was that's that's the one joke I had prepared for today. So <laughs> you're saving that one up, I'm sure. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we have been wanting to do this episode for a while, though. Yes. Well, it's great to be here to talk about it. Cool. So, so Charlie, can you tell us how how like how J Ruby came to be? What the, like how did it get started? Well, the the history of J Ruby is uh, interesting and not terribly complicated. Uh, the actual project started in around 2001 or so. Uh, neither Tom Annabo or I, the current co leads of the project, were a- involved at the time. Uh, this guy in Germany, Jan Arne Peterson, uh, decided to port the Ruby parser over. I I, I believe he was interested in. Possibly implementing the language, possibly implementing IDE tooling or editor stuff. Uh, but he got the basic parser working, and with that groundwork laid, uh, proceeded on with a couple other folks to actually start making the early versions of uh, JRuby work. I think it was uh, Ruby 1.6 time frame, uh, and that's what they were first targeting. Tom, I think, got involved 2002 or 2003, something like that. I got involved 2004 or five, and and pretty much nobody that originally worked on the project is still involved these days. So how did you get involved? Well, actually, uh, this is one of my favorite stories. Uh, it's also how I got into the Ruby community. Uh, as a Java architect guy at uh, the government consulting firm, like as, as enterprisey as you could possibly get, a friend of mine recommended uh, this language Ruby to me. And uh, it turned out that RubyConf 2004 was going to be just a few miles from the home office uh, that I commuted to sometimes out in the Reston area in Virginia. So I thought, okay, well, I'll go out and I'll visit the home office. Uh, I'll check out this Ruby thing. Hadn't ever actually looked at the language, but at the time it was like a $65 conference. It was easy to get to, so I thought I'd go and sit in on it for a while. And while I was sitting there, uh, I was struck by how... Every presentation I saw, I understood every piece of code without knowing anything about the language at the time. And it kept going on presentation, presentation after presentation. David Hansen was actually there presenting Rails for the first time. Uh, and that looked way better than anything I was doing in the Java world. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm a Java guy, a Java enterprise guy. Uh, maybe there's some sort of JRuby out there that I might be able to, to use or, or, or play with so I can actually use this language in my daily work. And it turned out that the project was out there. Uh, it also turned out that the current lead of the project was Tom, Tom Annabo. And I had worked with him about 10 years before that at the University of Minnesota. So we already knew each other. I uh, dropped him a line, said I'd like to get involved, and that's how it went from there. I love the synchronicity of that. It's it's just the most bizarre coincidence that it all, both Tom and I ended up lining back up in this project, uh, and it led to where we are today. That's awesome. That's cool. So, <clears throat> so how long have you been working on this? What are, I'm trying to do the math here. So, it's a so I, <laughs> I started working on it uh, a little bit in 2004, just kind of getting familiar with it. At university, I never studied compilers or languages or anything and never thought I'd be interested in implementing them. So there was a little bootstrapping time to get into it. Uh, really started working on it in earnest kind of in late 2005. And then 2006, mid to late uh, 2006, was when uh, Tom and I actually uh, were hired on by Sun Microsystems to work on it full time. And we both worked on it full time at the same companies 
bouncing around a bit since 2006. It, it's hard to believe that that's been, what, like seven years? <laughs> yeah, yeah, seven years now. And, and uh, amazingly, people seem to be still happy to, to pay us to work on this. And I, you know, I think it's awesome for the community that we've been able to do this. Um, it's not like we've ever been in JRuby to, to make some crazy money off of it. We've always just kind of found this a labor of love and been lucky to find companies willing to sponsor us. That's really cool. I mean, is is it uh, is it something that um, Red Hat seems to care about? I mean, obviously, Hat, they're, obviously they're paying you to do it, but right, exactly. So Red Hat, they have a lot of folks within Red Hat that like Ruby. They have projects that use Ruby throughout the company, and whether to build products off of Ruby uh, or to use it more efficiently internally, JRuby helps some of that future for for what they want to do with the uh, with the language in general uh specifically they've been working on the torquebox project for several years now uh torquebox is basically a bunch of really nicely crafted ruby apis that wrap up all the different jboss services and since that's a jvm project and it uses jruby uh we had been talking to them for a while about coming on board and and helping to really support them well cool that's great i mean it's uh, it sounds like a nice situation. So. so do you have any idea how how many people are using JRuby in production these days? Oh, it's it's the question we always get, and it's really, really hard to tell. Uh, the, the thing about open source projects is that if you're doing your job well, you never hear from anybody. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> unless it's busted. No one comes and says, hey, it's working great and I never have any problems. They only come and complain to you when something falls apart. <laughs> so... That's Over the human years, nature. that's not just programmers. Well, yeah, exactly. So, so finding the people that are actually running JRuby uh, is a challenge. We do know that over the past two years or so, probably starting in late 2011, more and more when we'd go to Ruby conferences, we would have dozens of people come up and say that they were running JRuby for something. Uh, it started to seem like there wasn't a Ruby shop out there that doesn't have something that is using JRuby or that has used JRuby at some point. It's still really difficult to tell, but we do know a number of big Ruby shops that have moved all of their stuff or part or, or at least part of their stuff over to JRuby. The activity on mailing lists and bug trackers and, and on other uh, non-JRuby mailing lists seems to continue to go up. So I think we're trending in the right direction, but it's really hard to get a pulse on that community. Are there any JRuby-specific conferences? Uh, I know there was one in like DC two years ago, but that's the last thing I heard. Yeah, we had our first uh, specifically JRuby conference as kind of a, a tag-along sidecar event for RubyConf 2009. Uh, we basically just tacked on another day. Uh, Sunday was JRubyConf. It was a free event that time, and we had probably 100 folks that stuck around after the conference to go to that. Uh, since then, we've done one every year. We did 2010 in D.C., 2011 um, trying to think which sequence it was. Oh, no, 2010 was uh, one that we did in Ohio. It was tacked onto eRubyCon. eRubyCon essentially became JRubyConf that year. 2011 was in D.C. 2012 we did in Minneapolis, and that was really awesome to have it at home here where Tom and I live. And then this year uh, we didn't end up doing a U.S. edition, but we did have the second version of a JRubyConf EU that was part of the EuroCamp events in Berlin. Sweet. So, and if if everything is trending in the right directions, these get a little bit larger every year. Is that right? Yeah. So, JRubyConf 2012 was definitely the largest we'd had in uh, the U.S. Uh, I think we had 
200 or 250 people. It, it basically sold out the venue that we had uh, set aside for it. Didn't run it again this year, mostly because just didn't have organizers. Other conferences took up a lot of time. Uh, but yeah, def- definitely seeing a trend where more and more people are interested in going to JRubyConfs. So that's one way that we've continued to uh, uh, be confident that we're moving in the right direction. So I'd like to ask the question, what is it that gets people interested in JRuby? What is it that they are looking for and what problem is it that it's solving for them? I think the, w- the way I was going to ask this is like, what's the elevator pitch for JRuby? Right, if, right. If somebody hadn't heard of it, why would they be interested in it? Well, so the, there, there's actually a couple elevator pitches depending on who we're talking to. I'll get the, the Java community out of the way first. The elevator pitch for the Java community, since they already know about the Java libraries and the JVM, is basically trying to sell Ruby. Um, and that's something where we actually could use more help. We're so deep into the internals of JRuby, we'd love to have more Rubyists come along to Java events and show people what they're missing. The elevator pitch on the other side for Rubyists is usually one of two things. Either there's something about uh, the whatever Ruby implementation they're on currently, usually MRI, that's not meeting their needs, uh, be it performance, garbage collector, threading, etc., all the things that you hear about JRuby, uh, or they have a specific need to use certain Java libraries, integrate with a, uh, an existing Java infrastructure, enterprise, or they have a customer client that refuses to run anything that doesn't run on the JVM. Uh, those are kind of the two main areas where people come to JRuby from the Ruby side of the world. I, I have to say that the, that uh, you know the project I'm using it for now. One was we had a library, a Java library that we had to use, and the other was you know we're running this thing on a on a fairly beefy server box that has you know a, like a couple dozen cores. And it's amazing to be able to fully utilize all the cores because we, we have a very highly parallel problem we're solving that threads nicely. And it's right. like, hey, hey, all the cores, yay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the concurrency thing has become a bigger and bigger deal over the past few years. I mean, as machines are just doubling in cores like every couple of years now, I, I, like, I never expected to have four cores or, or eight hyper-threaded cores in my laptop. And that this is not even the newest machine. This is a couple of years old at this point. Uh, and then you look at servers and you're talking 16, 32, 64-way machines. Um, the idea that in order to fully utilize that, you'd have to have 16, 32, 64 separate processes and then possibly twice that for redundancy, it really just doesn't scale to where we need it to. Mm-hmm. That, that was my experience as well. Came came for iText, which was a PDF manipulation library that just didn't exist in Ruby. And yeah, you 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 come for the Java, but you end up staying for the Ruby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a lot of folks uh, would would basically come for they come for one side or come for the other. They come for a Java library and stay mm-hmm. for what they get out of the JVM at that point. Mm-hmm. So we talked a, a little bit about some of the benefits of JRuby, you know, with the garbage collection, the threading, you know, in general. Some uh, I hear a lot about speed. What are some of the drawbacks? Because I know, for example, on a project that Dave and I worked on, um, sometimes the JVM took a little bit of time to warm up. Are there, are there other drawbacks to using JRuby? So the the startup time issue is a uh, number one pain point, um, and we know it. We've known it for years. And uh, to be honest, there's only so much we can do above the JVM level. Uh, JRuby is kind of unique among the the current production-ready, production-usable 
Ruby implementations and that probably 99% of JRuby's code isn't native code when he started up. Uh, our parser is written in Java and that has to warm up. The interpreter is written in Java and that has to warm up. Uh, various parts of the core are written in Java or Ruby and all that has to warm up. So we're essentially booting a VM on top of a VM and paying the, the startup cost for both of them at that point. So that's the biggest one. Um, hoping to work with the JVM guys to improve that in the future or find other tricks of our own. Uh, the other big one, uh, and, and it's like it drops off really fast after this as far as pain points. The other big one is the lack of support directly for MRI's C extensions. Uh, we shipped C extension support in some form uh, in JRuby 1.6. Kind of ran a few extensions, pretty much only supported 1.8 mode, but it's it was kind of hacky. It really limits concurrency. Uh, it wasn't very good performance calling across that boundary. Um, so most of the time, if people are going to make the migration to JRuby, they will end up having to find replacements for C extensions uh, rather than running them directly. Now, uh, the other thing that um, I've run into in a couple different ways is the POSIX compliance. And there's a and a couple issues with that. Wow, and, right. And yeah, we've we've done a lot of work to try and make JRuby as POSIX compliant and, and POSIX friendly as MRI. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, with the JVM trying to isolate all of that, we've had to uh, put in our own native bindings to certain POSIX functions and whatnot. Uh, it does still come up as a, a, a headache sometimes, especially in the area of process management, which we're still working on. Um, but in general, we feel like we can get there. Uh, it's just a matter of time and priorities. Yeah, I think the 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 one thing I ran into that um, that made me a little sad was that I couldn't trap SIGINT. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I think I think that one you actually can trap, but the JVM really doesn't want you to because it's using <laughs> it for other stuff. So yeah, it's like damn you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> The JVM is using Control C for itself. Well, the, the the JVM basically has its own SIGINT handler that does uh, like a, a sort of a hard but but somewhat clean shutdown of the JVM. And if you trap it yourself, then you can't do like a complete shutdown of the JVM when you would uh. want to. So anybody who's used to the JVM just going away when you hit Control C. Well, all of a sudden, you've got something else in the way. You can actually see this if you run uh, IRB in JRuby. Uh, IRB does install a SIGINT handler uh, so that it can like cancel out of the current code you're working on. Uh, but J- JVM users that expect uh, a, a console JVM process to just end when you hit Control-C uh, sometimes get surprised by that behavior. Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, is there a way that you can set up a, you know, an at-exit kind of trap that... Or, or I mean, just a trap for uh, for SIGINT so that you can report something on the way out of the, of uh, the Ruby. Yeah, I think it. I think it does work. Um, the trick would be that if you want it to continue to do the the standard JVM uh, hard exit, you'd want to call into like the Java Lang system exit just to to pass it on to the JVM and let it shut down the rest of the way at that point. Hmm. But it is possible to actually hook it because I know IRB does it. Hmm. Okay. Because, well, maybe I just haven't found the right uh, magic recipe for that. But uh, and anyway, moving on. We didn't need to get rat <laughs> <home> there. <laughs> We've talked a little bit about the popularity of JRuby within the Ruby community. I'm curious how popular it is among the JVM languages community. 
Is it one of the bigger ones? Is it middle, smaller? Of the JVM languages that were not born on the JVM, it's probably, if not the most popular, probably very close to the most popular. Um, that The other one that would be uh, popular as well would be uh, Jython, which hasn't had as much work over the past few years, and I think it's kind of slipped in popularity there. In comparison to the languages that were born on the JVM, like Groovy, Clojure, Scala, the other three major ones, I think we're, we're still pretty far behind as far as adoption among JVM people, JVM users. But if you take our Ruby side, the Ruby users as part of the JVM or the JRuby community, it's likely that we're probably still one of the more popular JVM languages. It, it's again, it's a really hard dynamic to figure out what's the size of our community when we've got it sort of bifurcated into two. They don't really talk to each other. We don't know on either side who's using JRuby for what. But uh, probably the most popular off-platform JVM language. Hmm. Pretty sweet. So, wh- okay, so one of the, the the things you talked about was, like you said, you said all the different um, pieces that are there in the, in the JRuby system. And you said something about their, like, being an being an interpreter written in Java. Can you talk a little about the, like the internal structure of, of JRuby? Because I think it's not really clear to a lot of people how the Ruby code actually gets executed. Right, right. Yeah, that would be useful. Uh, so in, initially, JRuby was done basically as a port of MRI. Uh, the interpreter was literally a direct port of the Bison grammar. Um, the Lexer was mostly a line-by-line port. And then the interpreter was just an AST that you had a, a, an AST walking interpreter for. Those part those pieces are still mostly the same as they are in MRI. A little bit of variation in how we construct the AST, a little bit of variation in how we actually do the interpreting. But then we continued on from that point and added a, a compiler that can turn the AST into JVM bytecode. Um, we implemented all of the core classes on our own. So the code that comes into JRuby will go through a couple hops before it actually gets down to JVM bytecode, and then hopefully uh, that eventually gets jitted down to, to native code so that we get the performance we need. Wow. <laughs> so, so if I write, so if I'm running a Ruby script, is that going to initially run? Um, on, I mean, it's the it what. <sighs> <laughs> this is the best question ever. I, I'm like, I'm like, you should see what my hands are doing right now. <laughs> it's it's funnier because Josh never does this. He's really articulate. And it's just... <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just like trying to figure out what's going on here because the so the, um, the answer is yeah. yes. Uh, <laughs> <when> it, <laughs> great, thank you. Almost all code that enters JRuby at first, uh, pretty much like any JVM bytecode that enters the JVM. Uh, we will interpret it for a while. Um, it, there is a cost to analyzing the AST, doing our own optimizations, turning it into JVM bytecode, uh, both in time and memory. And, and the vast majority of Ruby code that you hit will only get run once or twice. Not very, not, not a lot of code that gets hot. Okay. So we wait until methods get called. I think the, the metric we've got right now is 50 times. And then on a method-by-method basis, that gets compiled down to JVM bytecode, and the JVM takes it from there and optimizes it. So it really is like a little VM on top of a larger VM. Wow. So, so, the, so there's, there's like two levels of, of jitting going on. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and so, we've had so, to deal with a lot of the same issues the JVM guys have uh, in implementing our JIT layer. Okay. That that's crazy. <laughs> I'm impressed. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for thanks for keeping all that craziness uh to to make it work well. Yeah, I, I think we may be unique among the JVM languages in, in having that at all. Uh, there are some that can be either interpreted or compiled, uh, but none of them are mixed mode like, like the JVM is. Uh, and so that's been kind of an interesting challenge, implementing a, a mixed mode VM on top of a mixed mode VM. Okay, okay. The th- the, I think the thing that drove me a little um, insane there was thinking about the... Java code that is implement the implementation of the Ruby interpreter that is interpreting the AST and that that code gets jitted and turned into <laughs> native code. Yes, yes. So the interpreter the interpreter will jit itself and the AST will jit and then we'll do a compilation that turns that into bytecode which will eventually jit. And so yeah, there's there's code getting compiled to native all over the place. Yeah, I'll be right back. I need to get a bottle of scotch. <laughs> <laughs> That'll make this go a lot smoother. Uh, so we've, we've every time there's an update to MRI, you wind up getting a whole bunch more work to do, right? Uh, yeah, to some extent. It, it, over the past couple releases, it hasn't been as bad. Um, the one nine series, as it probably appeared from the outside was a tremendous amount of changes and features. Uh, not the, not the least of which of course is, uh, encoding support, a massive change, a massive, uh, piece of, it, it touched basically all of the internals of MRI. Uh, and we're still working through compatibility issues in that area. 2.0 and 2.1 have been much more incremental, oddly enough, especially since refinements kind of became a sidecar experimental feature in 2.0, most of the 2.0 stuff we were able to implement in like a couple weeks once it had been finalized. Uh, the 2.1 stuff again is, is not, not huge amount of work. Uh, we're actually hoping that with the next major release of JRuby, this will be that we finally catch up and we can just go and lockstep with MRI as they come up with new features. So what's been the hardest feature to implement in JRuby? Well, the, as far as like visible Ruby features, the encoding support is, is by far the most complicated thing. Uh, the, the most complicated single thing. Obviously, getting all of the core classes to work as they're supposed to, building an array class from scratch and a hash class from scratch is a lot of work. But encoding's just touched so much of the internals of JRuby and required such a, a change in how JRuby itself was structured that that has to be the biggest one. Um, there, There's... That really forced us to do things like porting Onigaruma. Uh, we had a contributor that basically ported over the entire regular expression engine that MRI started using because there was no way we were going to support it, uh, support the features otherwise. Yeah, there's, there's nothing that comes close to encodings. Hmm. Now, there's a couple different um, Ruby uh, VM projects going on. Of course, there's MRI, there's Rubinius, JRuby. H- how much collaboration do you do with these other projects and you know like do you do you make much use of the of ruby spec rubinius developed libraries any of that right well we've always wanted to have more collaboration maybe i don't know if this affects other communities the same way but at some point it always seems to kind of become an us versus them uh, even if we don't intend for it the community wants us to fight they want us to be they want it to be us versus them 
uh, we have people that file bugs and say, well, Rubinius is faster at running this. What's wrong with you guys? Or <laughs> MRI doesn't do it this way. What's, what's, what's up? You guys suck. And so even though we try to collaborate and we try to work together, uh, the, the forces that be just kind of push us apart. Um, that said, we do talk a lot. Uh, those of us that are kind of at the decision-making levels of these different projects, we do talk about how we're implementing certain features. Um, we share war stories. We share implementation ideas. A lot of features that uh, are in the Rubinius VM have come either from the way JRuby's done it or from things in the JVM. Uh, a lot of the internals of how we implement some core classes in JRuby have come from watching the Rubinius guys do it. Uh, you mentioned Ruby spec. We do run Ruby spec. So we have some contributions in there, not as many lately, but uh, we do contribute to it when we can. Uh, but we also run MRI's test suite, and I am an MRI committer, and I've I've made fixes and performance tweaks on MRI as well. So there, there's there's collaboration. Uh, it's not as much as we'd like, but uh, maybe it's the best we can do right now. Yeah, well. I it sounds like your heart's in the right place, and that's that's the best place. You know, the best answer I can hear. So. Yeah, I, I really would like for us to be a, a more of a, a common community because honestly, I don't think that there, other than like VM level features, like okay, Rubinius and, and JRuby both have good concurrency. Uh, we both should have good performance because we've got JITs. The overlaps kind of end at that point. Uh, Rubinius and JRuby have completely different communities. Uh, JVM folks just want the JVM. People who want Java libraries are going to use JRuby. That's kind of our distinguishing factor. Uh, people that want C extensions or want more of a, a native experience as far as Ruby goes, Rubinius might be the better one for them. And those are things that are never really going to change a whole lot. Um, so we do still all have our own sectors of the community that we can survive in. Okay, that's pretty cool. So what is your process for uh, adding a new feature into JRuby? I mean, you just look at MRI and add it to the list, or do you discuss how and, you know, w once you decide to add it, then what do you do? Well, if it's a feature that's officially added to MRI, uh, generally we don't have a choice about whether we're going to add it to JRuby or not. It's more of a matter of, of timing and when we're going to get there. We have... Within our team, uh, everybody kind of has their own areas that they work on. Uh, Tom generally works on, he, he's the, pretty much the main person that works on Parser. He does a lot of work on the interpreter and then kind of shares the load on doing core class stuff. I work on compiler, on optimization. I do a little bit of work on collaborating on new features like refinements, like uh, some of the, the freezing of strings and stuff that's coming up in 2.1, trying to prepare us for the, the future of stuff. Uh, we have Wayne Meissner, who does the native layer and the FFI stuff. Uh, we've had Mental Guy help out on concurrency stuff in the past. So depending on what the feature is, we usually have specific people that we can kind of hand it off to, uh, and then we'll, we'll share certain aspects of it, but everybody's got their own role to play on the project. I'm a little curious, too, about uh, the different moving around that uh, the team has done. I know you were at Sun, and you were also at Engine Yard, I believe, and then you went back to Oracle, and then it was, uh, now you're at Red Hat. H how has that affected the project? Well, so the, the sequence was actually that we started out 2006 working full-time at Sun, 
Uh, and that was when they were really first getting into the idea of JVM languages being a cool thing. Uh, so we were there for a couple years. And then towards the end of that, the whole Oracle thing happened, kind of got a weird vibe from it. Nobody could tell us yay or nay whether we were going to actually have a job in six months. Uh, and Engineyard was interested in bringing JRuby in-house, getting it available in their cloud. So we migrated to Engineyard at that point. Uh, and that was Tom, Nick Seeger, and I all migrated at the same time. Um, worked for a couple of years there, helped them get JRuby up and going in the cloud, uh, got it out as a, a product offering. And then once we'd finished that, uh, it kind of seemed like maybe the, the, the reason we went to Engineyard was mostly done. Um, they had it up and going. They had some customers using it. Uh, and Red Hat was at the time making a big push on their, their TorqueBox product. Uh, wanted to try and get it out for for more users. Wanted to actually do some formal releases of it, get some get some real uh, traction behind it. And so we had we knew the guys at Torquebox, we knew the work they were doing, uh, and we knew that they had a growing JVM language subgroup within the JBoss side of the organization. Uh, and it seemed like a good time to make that move. And that's where we've been uh, for a little over a year now. So we're we're we really it, it can't be understated how much we appreciate. Every one of the companies in this line uh, that's been supporting JRuby, uh, because they're not just supporting it for their own interest. They've been supporting it because it's good for the community to have JRuby around. Um, it's good for Ruby's future and, and Ruby's health to have alternative VMs and, and have a way on to these other platforms. Um, so we're really thrilled for everybody that we've been able to work with. Well, I, I think it's awesome that the the Ruby community does this. You know, one of the one of the things, um, or, or I guess it's not just the Ruby community; it's all sorts of communities supporting this. But the the um, you know, if you look at some of the other successful languages, uh, you know, you know, Java had corporate sponsorship from Sun. Uh, you know, PHP was supported by uh, Yahoo. Uh, Python supported by Google. There hasn't really been one, uh, you know, big supporter for Ruby throughout its history. It's been a lot of little players or relatively smaller players. And right. So, so, but I think it's just great that that there's always somebody who steps up. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It 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 kind of plays into um, a theme that uh, Reginald Braithwaite was talking about uh, just this past weekend at Baruco. Uh, he did a really excellent talk about how the real benefit, the real advantage that the Ruby community has in comparison to other communities is how social the the community has been. How we've we this community has basically invented social uh, social coding on the back of GitHub. Um, still by far the, the biggest GitHub users. We have conferences all over the place. We've we've split our community up and had lots of different ways of communicating and getting together. Uh, we do all sorts of non-conference events. Um, all sorts of online hangouts, all sorts of online groups. That is, it, it, we're not a community that requires the cathedral to to be pushing everything forward and one entity to push us forward. Uh, it's made up of all these little communities, these little bazaars, uh, and then the little stands within the bazaar that are all contributing to the same whole. Uh, and it's it's like no other development community that that I've been involved in, um, embracing really the open source and social community thing more than anybody else. Okay, so as someone who writes open source like gems, 
how do I make sure that my gems work for the all the implementations of Ruby, or or at least the most common ones? Well, I mean, the the, the first and most obvious thing uh, is the amazing contribution to the community that Travis CI has been. I it's it's like it's become it's become like GitHub where I can't imagine what life before Travis actually was like. Uh, it's, it's really trivial to flip JRuby on and flip the other implementations on. And it's even easy to go to somebody else's project and send them a pull request to just add JRuby to a list of projects they're running in Travis. Uh, that's the easiest way. Get it going on tests, uh, see what the problems are. If there's things to fix, on your end, on your library, uh, you go ahead and fix those, obviously. If there's stuff that looks like it might be a bug in JRuby, we're happy to sit down and try and figure out what those things are. This is, this is really the number one thing that Ruby community folks, uh, Ruby users, potential JRuby users can do to, to help JRuby or help the other implementations is get all the libraries tested, get that groundwork solid across everybody all the implementations and then then we can build from there if, you, if all the libraries work and all the code that people expect to to build their apps off of works it's going to be a, a larger community for everybody so it's really intimidating when i when i have i i try to run it against for example jruby and then i get errors that i don't understand and i'm not sure if ask like i don't know where to go to ask questions and and mostly I'm pretty sure that it's a stupid question. Like, I'm going to look like an idiot if I go ask this thing. And I'm wondering, like, how do I, how do I mitigate that? How do I, first of all, where do I go? And how can I, how can I figure out if there's, if there's some homework I can do first before I ask my question? Well, the way that, that at least I've approached uh, managing the JRuby community and, and folks that are new to it or coming into it, I almost always assume that there's probably something we're doing wrong in JRuby. Uh, so I, I, I don't, I can't emphasize enough that if there's anything that looks like it shouldn't be that way, or if there's possibly any potential that it might be a JRuby thing, totally just come to us. Um, we're, we're on, we have mailing lists, uh, which, you know, I, I monitor not as well as I could. There's a bunch of other folks that pay a lot of attention to the mailing lists. Uh, but the IRC channel, JRuby on Freenode, uh, you can come in there ask a quick question, throw a gist up, uh, we'll take a look at it. If it is, you know, what you call a dumb question, we're really happy that we're able to, to keep you from spinning your wheels on it. Uh, give, you the, give you the quick answer, point you to something in the wiki, whatever, uh, just to make sure that you're able to, to move forward and, and get onto something meaningful. Um, if it's an actual problem, even if it's not something JRuby specific, we usually are also helping, we're, we're no, we're not usually. We're always happy to help sit down and figure out what the problem is. We've had some real unusual folks come into the channel that weren't actually very skilled at Ruby. They were new to the language, didn't really understand how, how certain aspects work. And we're, we're still happy to try and sit down and figure out what's going on. Um, we really just want to kind of make the community feel very much at home with Ruby as well as JRuby. That's cool, because that's often like the biggest hurdle is just kind of figuring out how to get started asking the right questions. Yeah, exactly. Well, I see, I see any problem that somebody has with JRuby, no matter how small, uh, as an opportunity to improve JRuby, uh, either by fixing a bug, which is you know obvious that we want to do that, or by making it easier to do it the right way. 
uh, if it's a problem getting JRuby up and running or deploying it or finding the right libraries, the right gems, it's not your fault that something might look wrong or that it might be difficult to get up and going. It's in, it's generally our fault or there's, or there's something that we could be doing better to reach community members like you uh, that, uh, that we're more than happy to try and make happen. So do I need to run it against a lot of different versions of JRuby? Well, I'd say pretty much just whatever the current JRuby release is. Um, so RVM style, it'd just be whatever's installed for, quote, JRuby. Uh, if you want to move to the next step and kind of help the, the JRuby development process, running against JRuby head as well uh, will help keep us honest. And we periodically ping the Travis guys to update that to a more recent version of uh, JRuby master. Uh, but the most recent JRuby version, we always recommend people that people to run on the, the the latest version, and that's what we really expect people to test against. Cool, thanks. It, it, so, so I have a I have a question or two about the Java side integration, and, you know, because sure. that's one of the big selling points of JRuby is that you get the benefit of this big Java ecosystem, and and that I mean that's one of the reasons we chose it, uh, or actually the main reason we chose it, and the. But um, there's there's definitely a little um, it, it, you know uh, impedance mismatching going on there. Uh, that you know Java is a is a statically typed language. It has you know a different outlook on a lot of things, and and I've been noticing that the seams between uh, you know the Ruby side and the Java side can sometimes be a little rough. Um, the like one thing in particular that I've run into is dealing with um, Java class constructors and uh, you know oftentimes they'll take um, they'll take primitive data types or even just any method that takes a primitive data type you know has issues with this but the you know like if, if something wants a byte array right then, right then then that's that's that took me a, a a little bit of uh, head tilting and squinting to figure out what what's a good way to interact with those kinds of things right. And, and 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 then there's things like uh, database drivers, and and that whole side of things, and you know you know, you know it, it, oftentimes it's the um, a lot of the um, the edges of the system look really different than what you're than what I'm used to in just a pure Ruby kind of world. Yeah. Right. Well, and this is this has really been uh, one of the bigger challenges for JRuby, not just for Rubyists who want to use JVM libraries, but for JVM or Java folks who want to use a different language. All the languages that were born on the JVM obviously were born to integrate with Java at some level, and so it can often be a little easier for them, a little more seamless. Uh, whereas we have to marry Ruby, which has it's dynamically typed. It has its own type system, its own notion of what a string, an array, and a hash is uh, with Java, which has static types. Uh, it has a completely different representation of a string. It has its own set of collections. Uh, over the years, we've added more and more little shortcuts, uh, automatic conversions, uh, utility methods. Um, tried to document as much of this stuff along the way, but it's, it's a big set of APIs and a big challenge. In general, though, we do want to know what where those seams are and what the most difficult aspects of integrating JRuby with a Java library is. To be honest, a lot of times it's the Java libraries are not really designed well in the first place. They are designed specifically to integrate with only Java and even the Scholar or Groovy would have trouble with them. Or they don't even 
take into consideration that other languages might be around uh, that that might have their own their own type systems or their own uh, representations of collections and so on. That that was definitely my impression with you know this one library that I'm working with. It's you know that it's it's uh, it's not the most object oriented thing in the world. <laughs> so it's uh, you know there, there's not a lot of opportunity to to massage it around and put it in a different shape. But right, right. Uh, the best experience that. JRuby users have had with Java libraries is usually when uh, somebody uh, with you know uh, a couple uh, bottles of scotch and, and a little courage courage goes in and actually builds a very nice Ruby wrapper around whatever that library is, works through a lot of those low-level issues, and comes up with something that is a nice API for Rubyists. You know, the, an obvious example is what the Torquebox guys are doing. Uh, the services they're providing are very Java enterprisey like under the covers. That means that they're very solid, they perform well, they have a lot of functionality, but if you were to use those APIs directly, you'd be completely lost. Uh, what they've done is put a very nice Ruby face on top of all those to make them look as good as any queuing service or data cache or anything else. Uh, that's usually the recommendation we have for people. If you're going to use a specific Java library, take a first pass and wrap it with something that feels a little bit more like Ruby. Treat it sort of like you're, uh, like you're integrating with a, a foreign library or a C library. Uh, you don't necessarily want to use that API as your Ruby API uh, because it's just not going to fit into the rest of the system the way you'd like. Okay. I actually hadn't considered doing that before. The most useful thing I've I've run into, well, one of the first useful things was a similar situation where I was up against a seam, and what it was is it was a seam into. I wanted to do some graphing and plotting, and the support for that in 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 Ruby is quite poor, right? I mean, graphics is just kind of an orphan child, and I, I was casting about for how am I going to do this? Am I going to use R magic and draw an image? And and then I realized that I've got all of the swing libraries and the canvas 2d and all of this stuff. Um, heck, and I can even open a window and draw this, the, the silly thing. And that was one of the first things that I got into with, uh, with JRuby and was able to produce some really nice graphs and charts. And yeah, the, the interface wasn't quite perfect, but it was, it was actually close enough, um, to, to, to get us there. And so sometimes those seams, they're, they're pain. It's painful to cross them, but you have to, because, the thing on the other side doesn't exist in the Ruby ecosystem. Does that make sense? Right, right. Well, you know, you could almost say that the the seam between uh, Ruby and Java, or, or or using a Java library from Ruby, is really just that it's a Java library. Yeah, uh, it's designed for a completely different sort of developer, a developer that has a big IDE that's going to complete all this stuff for them. That is, you know, potentially planning for the ninety nine percent case. Uh, and and not really considering that maybe things could be a lot simpler at the same mm -hmm. time. Uh, it really is kind of just the way that Java libraries are written. They're low-level system libraries that you want to put a nice face on. Yeah. So so what's next for uh, JRuby? Where, where are you guys headed now? Well, we've been desperately trying to get the JRuby 175 release out. We did our 174 last spring. I think it was actually spring still. Uh, and then... 175 just kind of snowballed. We did a big rewrite of a bunch of encoding stuff. There's a bunch of optimization work. It's kind of gathered more and more work, more and more improvements uh, over the summer. And then we started having people test it out. And, of course, nobody tests it out until we say, hey, we're about to release it. 
Uh, and so that has pushed things back a couple of weeks, trying to get all the, the user cases that have come up resolved. After that, we're planning on uh, branching off for the, the next major version of JRuby, uh, which at the moment the, the working version is JRuby 9000. We kind of want to make a break from the old code base, uh, rip out all of the Ruby 1.8 and 1.9 stuff, go straight to 2.1, build a new compiler, new runtime for it, kind of make JRuby what we've always wanted along the way now that we're getting to a point where functionality-wise we've caught up. Okay. And and, and uh, how soon is refinement support coming? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I actually I actually want to I want to address this because it it, cause it it came as such a contentious thing uh, during RubyConf last year that yeah, they'd even yeah. consider putting this feature in this horrible thing that nobody likes it, and then other people would say, "No, it's amazing! It's a wonderful feature. I want it because it can make, lets me do all this crazy DSL stuff I couldn't before." Ultimately, the discussions around refinements showed to me that the existing process actually can work. I put up a blog post, I communicated on the refinements issue on a daily basis, and the end result was that refinements were marked as experimental in 2.0, uh, so we could take some more time to look at them. Ultimately, Mots and uh, other folks in Ruby Core agreed that the feature set as defined was too too crazy, too much magic, uh, too difficult for, for VMs to implement, for, for VMs to, to make perform at, at least a decent level. Uh, and what we're going to have as refinements in 2.1 is a, a pared-down version that I think still provides the bulk of the functionality people wanted out of the feature without most of the pain that uh, I was concerned about originally. Um, so with I, it, the refinements, even though it seemed like such a, a, a cluster when it first came along... It, it, it was kind of a, a success story for how Ruby Core has been evolving the process and trying to communicate more, trying to work with folks in the community more closely. Um, we did manage to fix something that might have been a terribly broken feature long before it ever got into release. Yeah, and, and definitely kudos to you, Charlie, for your role in that. I think that you know, amid a lot of um, you know, people, uh, well, I guess, you know, I guess you'd call it mouthing off uh, uh, about stuff that they didn't have, a, you know, they had strong opinions about, but not much grounding to speak from. Uh, you know, you sat down and you did a lot of hard work to come up with test implementations and to actually look at the reality of the situation with a with a pretty um, critical eye. And you know, I think that that uh, you know what you did there really had a major effect in the outcome. So right. Well, I mean. It, it, Thank That's you. the thing. If you want, well, I'm glad I was able to do it. Uh, the thing is, with the with any process, even if you think it's a broken one, just chucking it, you can completely walking away. It is just going to let things continue on that direction. Um, I've I've never been thoroughly satisfied with the way that Ruby Core works, but they've improved things over the years. They do listen, uh, and more and more they listen to. Folks that aren't Ruby Core, that folks that aren't part of the the Japanese Ruby community, it, it's really difficult for me when people say that the existing system is so broken we need to throw it out completely, uh, even though it's brought us to the Ruby we have today. Uh, I, I think we need to work within within the community, figure out ways to evolve the process uh, and improve communication. Uh, but uh, you know, I think over the past year or so, we've managed to prove that that the current process 
even if it is a little bit broken in places, can be made to work. All right. Well, um, it sounds like we're winding down. Should we uh, get into the picks? Everyone said their piece. Um, I just before we do the picks, I just want to thank you again, Charlie, for all the work that you've put into JRuby. Um, I mean, it really does contribute to the community, and you know, gives us some some other options for things that we need to get done to solve the problems for our customers, clients, or employers. Well, we've been having having a lot of fun with it, so I'm glad people are getting use out of it. Cool. Hey, Charlie, any um, any appearances or speaking gigs coming up soon? Ah, well, uh, I was just at Baruco. Hopefully, hopefully, folks were able to to get out for that, or will be able to see the presentation that I did there. I was I was pretty happy with it. Uh, talking about the future of JRuby in a little bit more detail than I was able to do today. Tom and I will be speaking at uh, RubyConf this year. Our, our talk on the future of JRuby was accepted, and we'll, we'll probably cover a lot of the same things. Um, other than that, uh, those are the two Ruby gigs that I've got coming up, or that I've got that I've gotten the near time time span. Um, I will be at Java One next week, uh, so I'll be around the same time as uh, Gogoruko stuff, but uh, there for a different event. Uh, and I'm going to be doing this Yao set of conferences in Australia in early December. Um, other than that, 2014 is still kind of an open slate. Cool. Are we going to are we going to see a JRubyConf next year? We certainly would like to do it. Um, we're starting to wonder if maybe our idea of doing a separate JRubyConf, even though it seemed like it was pretty successful, uh, doesn't really fit into that social nature of Ruby and, and having lots of little conferences. So it's possible we may start to talk to com- existing conference organizers about having uh, uh, you know, sidecar events, JRuby tracks, things like that. Because uh, it's really the folks that are existing Rubyists, maybe not using JRuby, that we want to talk to the most. I, I know somebody you could talk to. Yeah, <laughs> I think I do too. <laughs> yeah, I'll be at RubyConf as well. I'm going to be speaking, so uh, I'll look. I'll look for you. Excellent. We'll be hanging out for a while. Awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do the picks. Um, Katrina, do you want to start us off? Sure. That's going to be fast. I have nothing. David, what are your picks? Two quick uh, development gems that have uh, made my life a living hell, and then. Um, made things much, much better. They, they say sometimes the shortest way through a problem is straight down the middle and just to fix it. And we have been having uh, time zone related issues. Uh, I believe it was the great Josh Susser who once said, if you don't hate time zones, you're not a real programmer. And that's absolutely <laughs> true. Chuck, you could, you and I can tell a funny story about time zones, but we'll, we'll save that for later. But uh, yeah, we had, had just tests were failing you know you'd go to you'd go to parse a, a time and at nine o'clock at night that test would fail and it was because the current time zone had changed re- relative to gmt and, and and whatnot so uh a lindeman on uh on github uh has a gem out called zone b and zone b will change the time zone of your rails system uh, or if you're not building in Rails, but you, you, you plug it into your test suite, it will change. Actually, I think it is Rails specific, sorry. But it changes the time zone that Ruby thinks it's in every time you, you run your test suite to a random time zone. And this is beautiful because you, it can be, you know, because your time zone bugs never appear during the day, at least you're, if you're in the, the Western hemisphere. And with Zone B, all of a sudden, your specs, your specs are running in Istanbul or Kazakhstan or Singapore, and all of these time zone bugs that only appeared late at night now are suddenly appearing in the middle of the day. And we installed this, and we suddenly had fifty percent 
just complete our whole test suite would just fail half the time randomly and uh you can you, you can set a flag to say you know what lock me to singapore because that's where this bug is appearing and then you can go track down all of your time zone bugs and change from time.parse to time.zone.parse and stop using time now always use time current never use date today always use date current that sort of thing so that you're always locked into the current time zone so zonebee is uh my first pick my second one is rails best practices which is another gem that will do code quality metrics, but it will also do like security analysis. It'll analyze your 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 DB schema for migrations, and uh, or for indexes and 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 that sort of thing. And if you're already using the metric foo gem, you're already using Rails best practices. But um, if you're not, uh, grab it and give it a shot. Actually, if you're not using metric foo, you should just use metric foo or foo. But uh, if if you're if you're not and you just want to see the Rails side of it, things you can grab the Rails best practices gem and run that, and it's awesome. And those are my picks. Awesome, uh, Josh. What are your picks? Oh, I saw that one coming. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's see. I have one programming related pick this week, and that is the Dash documentation viewer. I don't think anyone's picked this yet, um, unless they did it last week when I wasn't around. But the uh, this is nice. It's a it's a Mac app. Uh, you can get it from the Mac App Store. It's called Dash, and it's from a company called uh, Capelli, I believe it's called, pronounced. And it's just a really nice little Mac app that uh, you can download documentation sets for you know Ruby, uh, you know uh, Rails, uh, HTML, CSS, and a whole bunch of other things that I haven't even gotten into yet. But it, and it's nice. It's like a you know a, a you know a one stop way to get uh, all of those documentation on your local machine. I'm often, like when I was flying a couple weeks ago, I'm trying to do some coding on the plane and all of my documentation is web-based and I can't find any of the docs for anything that I'm working on. So it's nice to just have them all downloaded and, and be in a form that works really well for searching. So, um, so uh, yeah, definitely liking that. Dash documentation viewer. And then I have a sci-fi pick. I've been doing a lot of those lately, but I guess I've been doing a lot of um, reading lately. <laughs> um, so uh, I've been rereading a lot of my old favorites, and uh, right now I'm rereading Peter F. Hamilton's Night's Dawn trilogy. And uh, this this series is crazy. It was published in the UK as a trilogy, but because we Americans can't deal with... Uh, apparently big books they broke each of the books in the trilogy into two different parts <laughs> so so it's a six volume trilogy uh yeah um anyway the first uh first one in it is called the reality dysfunction and oh yeah 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 so, so is this, is this the neutronium alchemist series yeah 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 reality Dif- okay. dysfunction neutronium alchemist and the naked god and and this is just like the most epic galaxy spanning space opera that really works that I've read in the modern science fiction age. It's, you know, it's such a big scale and, and the cast of characters, you know, here's one of those, uh, like dramatis personae sections at the be, you know, in the books and you really need it. You just really can't tell the players without a scorecard. And it's such a rich and, and complex galactic milieu, um, that it's like even rereading it, I always see stuff that I didn't notice before and it's, and it's a frightfully believable future um, in, in many ways. So anyway, that's, uh, uh, that's what I got this week. Have fun. Awesome. (laughs) 
So I've got a couple of picks here. Um, one is a product that I've been using for a while. I was using Pivotal Tracker for a long time. And uh, anyway, for various reasons, I decided I didn't want to pay for it anymore. But uh, I tried out Planscope.io, which is done by Brennan Dunn. And uh, I'm really liking it. Um, it has an estimation uh, feature in it, and then it has the the actual project in it. And uh, it's it's worked out pretty nicely for a few projects that I've run on it, so I'm really enjoying that. Another pick that I have this morning, I actually got up and went to the gym, and so uh, I'm just gonna pick that. I know I've picked it in the past, but uh, you know, just get up and move, move for a half hour, an hour every day. Um, it makes a huge difference, and I, I feel a ton better. I I feel a little bit worse too because I'm a little bit sore, but I feel great. Finally, the last pick I have, and this is so. Most of you know that I'm LDS or Mormon, and I I drove down to the local temple, which is, it's it's not like the church or synagogue. It's it's where we go for higher worship, I guess you could say. And uh, I just sat in the parking lot and uh, you know kind of meditated. And uh, I know some some people aren't religious and some people are religious, but whatever it is that you do to go and kind of find a peaceful space for your thoughts and to you know, to talk to God if you believe in him and, you know, just to, to have that time with your thoughts if you don't, um, it, it really makes a big difference for me. And so um, I'm going to kind of pick finding that quiet space and, uh, you know, exploring y- your thoughts and where you're at and who you are. And that's it. Uh, Charlie, what are your picks? Uh, I've got a couple things. I'm going I'm to go through them quickly. Uh, Actually got a little distracted playing with Dash just now because that that's pretty nice. <laughs> Sorry about that. The, uh, yeah, the other yeah, I was I was looking for a J Ruby module to download in there just now and I couldn't find one. Yeah, I know I didn't see one. We'll have to see if we can't get some something published for that. But I was pulling docs down with that. Um, so the first one, uh, I had the pleasure of uh, hanging out with uh, Sandy Metz again last week at Baruco. Uh, if if you haven't checked out her book Practical Object Oriented Design in Ruby, absolutely do it. Uh, it it sounds like you know the typical sort of dry design pattern kind of book, but it's so not. Uh, it really makes you excited about writing object oriented programs the right way, uh, and the and the benefits you get from it. So that's that's the first pick, uh, and it's awesome. probably come up before, but I wanted to to make sure people I, know about it. N- nobody has picked that book on this show. Oh yeah, it's, it's a, it's, and if you can pick up uh, Sandy's talks from other conferences, I, the first time I saw her was actually at Gogoruko last year, and uh, I was I was very impressed. It's really entertaining to watch her watch her lay it on the line there. We, um, we should get her on the show to talk about that book. Absolutely, I think she should be a good, actually we should get her on the show to talk about anything. If, yeah, <laughs> yes, let's have, let's have her back soon. That would be great. Yeah, yes, for sure. Uh, so the second one that is going to expose my. Uh, my rank newbie, newbie-ishness at uh, Vim and, and doing C development. Uh, but since I started working on uh, MRI and became an MRI committer, I have rediscovered C tags. If you haven't used C tags before to actually do some migrating or, or navigating around a large C code base, you're doing it the hard way, for sure. Um, I, I had used it very briefly at university a long time ago, uh, and rediscovered it. And, and if you ever need to work with a big C code base, make sure that you're using that. Uh, the last thing I'll, I'll pick today is uh, related to concurrency. Since concurrency has become such a big deal for, for Ruby, especially JRuby, Rubinius, and whatnot, there are a couple libraries. Uh, the first one would be the ThreadSafe gem, 
Um, it's a gem that I started up just to basically give people what they were kept asking for, a thread-safe array and a thread-safe hash implementation. Um, oh, so nice. it's, a, it's a gem you can install on any, any implementation. It uh, gives you a thread-safe colon-colon array or colon-colon hash that you can new up, uh, use it like a regular array or hash, and not have to worry about concurrency issues with it. And ideally, it's going to be the fastest possible concurrent array or hash on a given platform. Um, the other one is uh, the Atomic Gem, uh, which if you're ever doing or equals or plus equals and you want those operations to be safe across multiple threads, uh, you can use the Atomic Gem to make sure that only one thread is going to make that modification at a time, not going to step on each other. Um, so that's, uh, I think that's the, the oh, the, the la- I had the one last quick one. Uh, anybody who's starting to get into concurrency and using JRuby on the JVM, Brian Getz's book on uh, Java concurrency in practice shows you a lot of the libraries, the important libraries you need to know. Talks to you, talks about how the JVM's memory model works. Really teaches you what concurrency looks like running on top of the JVM, the pitfalls you're going to run into, and and the right tools to to make it work. And all that stuff uh, applies very well to JRuby too. Can I throw in a bonus pick? Yeah, it, it's it's very it's very uh, Charlie serving. So one of the things that's held me back from getting involved with JRuby sometimes is I keep wondering, gosh, how do you how do you get down to the JIT level? How do you get down to the low level of manipulating something? And I just started wondering as we were sitting here chatting, how do you get involved with JRuby? And the answer is you go to jruby.org/contribute, and they've got they've got a freaking presentation on how to get your code bearings on the code base. They've got all kinds of stuff you can contribute to. And so, if you're afraid of the JRuby source code, um, don't be. They are actually open source, and you can get involved with it. Awesome, that's a great recommendation. And if there's anything that it looks like we need more of, like how do you at- approach a bug, or how do I find out what's going on in String? Um, we're we're totally willing to write more resources and put them up there for people. You need more small talk in it, right, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> where's a Charlie? Where's a good place to go to find low hanging fruit, like a like a you know like the like the please jump in tag kind of stuff? Is there anything in JRuby that uh, you guys are just would just love to have somebody jump in? Well, you know, it's tough to maintain those lists because if it's uh, low enough hanging fruit, we probably just fix it. But uh, we do have in our bug trackers, we try to mark some intro bugs or help wanted bugs. Like I was saying earlier, probably the easiest way to to get involved in just a general helpiness towards JRuby is look through the the gems, the libraries that you use on a daily basis, figure Mm -hmm. out which ones aren't testing against JRuby and Travis and make it happen. Go fix them. Cool. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Well, before we wrap up, I want to mention that we are going to be uh, reading Confident Ruby by Avdi Grimm, and you can get 20% off the book by using the code ROGUESCLUB, all one word, all uppercase. And uh, that works on any of the editions. And uh, the episode will be recorded on October 16th and probably come out about a week after that. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Thanks for coming, Charlie. Really appreciate you uh, taking the time. Yeah, it was great coming on the show. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Well, I guess we're done. We'll catch you all next week.